0: On this week's Thinking Caps, we have Jill Knessik, former FBI agent who's taken down all kinds of awesome big hacking schemes, which you'll learn about, but she's also a chief privacy and security expert. We also give you access to a new Forrester report titled The Capabilities Marketers Need to Build a Strategic Privacy Function. And it's great because Jill has great insight there, she has experience at companies, and she's going to guide you into the three must-haves when considering a privacy function inside your own company, whether you're just getting started and researching privacy or whether you have a well-established program. Check this episode out. Thank you for bringing in this very special guest, Jill Kinesic. Jill Kinesic is our uh, chief security officer here at Cheetah Digital and has an amazing background. Um, We won't have nearly enough time to go into the things I want to go into with her, but um, she really brings an awesome perspective. Richard, I know you have some great thoughts on why you nominated Jill to come on today.
1: Yeah, now we'll, you know, We'll come on to kind of, you know, background in security and, and privacy uh, in a moment. Um, but I wanted to get straight to it. You know, on your resume, um, you have worked with a diverse array of organizations from the FBI to Mattel, but let's start off with the FBI. Mm-hmm. Um, you were a special agent, you know, uh, working for the FBI on cybercrime. That's pretty cool, right? That's cool.
2: <laughs> it's a dream come true for me. I couldn't have been happier. I, I I always wanted to be an FBI agent, never knew how I would do it. Um, got into computers, got a degree in computers and started working in the IT field. Um, and so just didn't even think about it. And then, you know, one day I read the LA uh, newspaper and they said they were looking for uh, women and minorities as agents. They had a, a lack of that. And so I thought, what the heck, I'll, I'll throw my name in the hat. So I filled out an application and. About 11 months later, I got a call said that after, you know, tons and tons of process that uh, they'd accepted me into uh, the new uh, FBI uh, special agent training class in Quantico, Virginia. So I was thrilled. Now, which
1: was which was harder, the uh, interview process for Cheetah Digital or the FBI?
2: I can assure you it was the FBI. I mean, Cheetah Digital is pretty easy. I think I think the fact that I, ha- I was an FBI agent, I intimidate everybody now. So they're just, they're just, they can't wait to get through the interview with me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: going to be polite just so she doesn't look into my background. Anyway, no, that's really cool. Um... Yeah, it is. And, and you know, whilst uh, I'm sure there's lots of things you can't talk about yeah. uh, from your time at the FBI, um, you know, I, I know that you have been involved in a couple of um, big uh, cybercrime uh, cases and takedowns. So yeah, give us a give us a tell us what you can about that. Some of the the famous cases you worked on and kind of how that uh, how that work um, transpires. What what, what what do you do?
2: So yeah, it was um, pretty exciting. I, I think the first thing is when I joined, it was 1998. The internet was really just starting to get its bearings, and hacking was very new. And the FBI only had about uh, five regional offices that actually had any kind of cyber crime uh, squads on it. So, you know, LA obviously got a lot of the big ones. And when I came on, Kevin the Kevin Mitnick case was massive. It was already on wow. uh, 60 Minutes, was doing shows wow. on in 2020. Um, so I came in and, you know, I, I ended up on the cyber crime squad and never thought I'd work uh, Kevin Mitnick. But my training agent was actually the case agent and his background was as a CPA. Um, so as he was trying to go through some of the evidence, um, he just didn't have a computer background. And so he started asking uh, if I knew how to, you know, did I know Unix? Did I know how to bring, you know, backup tapes up? And I'm like, well, of course, I. that's what I did for a living at, you know, in my computer days. And so uh, I ended up being the co-case agent on that one because there was no uh, computer expertise on the team. Um, the interesting thing about Kevin Metnick, and by the way, he's got his own company now, makes a lot of money, a lot more money than I make, I sh- I'm sure.
1: Crime does pay and sometimes yeah. <laughs> in the cybercrime
2: world. <laughs> <laughs> totally. You're, you're actually right. Crime totally pays. Oh, but uh, I, I think, you know, the, the good thing is he's been reformed. Um, You know, I, I think we, he was young when he started into it, and uh, it was a very new area. Uh, and I think what he's done is taken what he learned through those times, and he's actually helped He's helping people um, become more secure. He talks about social engineering. He implements a lot of security awareness training products and tools now. So um, I've not had a chance to actually work with him or talk to him since my FBI days. But uh, um, needless to say, uh, yeah, crime does pay.
0: Can you give us the 30-second rundown on what the what the heart of that case
2: was? His, his main thing was to try to steal uh, software that was running the Novell Networks and then the Nokia phones. He was trying to hack into phones, that mobile phones, which were, as you probably remember, big bricks. Um, and so he was able to social engineer himself into uh, some of these companies. Novell was a big, you know, uh, local area networking company way before we started really thinking about the internet. Um, got Was able to work through some of like the secretaries of the CTO and, and find out and get access to um, some of their infrastructure and their servers. Uh, same with the the Nokia phones. Was able to get access to some of the operating system the backend, so he could hack into them and eavesdrop on phone conversations and actually make free phone calls and things like that. It was um, a little bit just I think trying just trying to figure out how things worked more than it was maybe uh, you know trying to commit crimes. But he ended up costing the company a lot of money and. Uh, intellectual property because he was, you know, he stole it, shared it. And then once it got out there, um, it kind of undervalued the, those two companies. So it was, wow. uh, it was pretty significant at the time.
1: Another one of the uh, famous cases I know that you worked on was, it uh, was Mafia Boy. Tell us a little bit about that one and uh, what happened?
2: Mafia Boy was, uh, he, he got his hands on a tool. It was, a ended up being like a, a 15, 16 year old kid out of Montreal, Canada. Um, got his hands on a tool that allowed him to basically, uh, you know, I guess execute a denial of service attack against any site he wanted to at any given time and take them offline, which was, you know, pretty big because our economy was just starting to, to you know, work off the internet and, and we were making sure that we had, uh, you know, the ability to, you know, to be secure, but also to be able to run our economy and not let, you know, a 15 year old kid take out uh, an entire company or set of companies in, in a matter of minutes. Um, he was able to take down CNN, buy.com, eBay. Why.com um, was going through an IPO yeah. at the time, I think, and, and he killed their stock value. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, we were sitting there. I was, in, I had the, the setting some of the chat, you know, IRC chat channels back then was the cool thing to do. It's, it's how you communicated. Um, and he actually came into the room and said, hey, you, you know, what do you want me to do? I can take down any site you want. And, you know, we were undercover. Of course, he didn't know we were FBI. And uh, he said somebody said Dell, and so he said okay, and he took and he took down Dell.com like right on the spot. And we're like, oh my gosh, this this stuff is for real. So that's <laughs> pretty scary.
1: Whoa. Did he get a long sentence? Is he out now? What, what was the what was the story with uh, with him?
2: He was, uh, you know, underage juvenile. In in the U.S., we would have done nothing. In uh, Canada, they gave him I think a two-year uh, probation where he couldn't be around computer, computer company, or anybody that had computers. Uh, so he spent his two years, which were in high school, uh, you know, trying to be good and stay out of trouble. And uh, and eventually, once he got out, he, he I guess he uh, got a job in in the industry, and he's doing pretty well. He's got a few books on Amazon.com. If you go look on there, you can find him on there. But uh, again, I guess uh, crime paid okay for him too this kid
0: should have went to jail by all accounts and like skates through high school i had a tough time in high school and i wasn't taking down companies like dell i mean geez overachiever making us look
1: bad yeah, yeah i also wasn't right. smart i also wasn't smart enough to take any of these companies yeah, down true. so uh yeah i'm with you there <laughs> all right brilliant well joe mm-hmm. i know you know obviously you, you you had a fantastic fascinating um set of exposure to um you know all things cybercrime coming to the fbi you then switched gears and got into you know becoming uh an important player in security and, and privacy you know working for a diverse range of, of companies such as you know bt and mattel so what was that kind of culture shock like going from the fbi to, to mattel
2: so i i think it's a big difference because it's a totally different attitude as you can imagine working for a toy company things are a lot lighter than working for uh you know, a premier law enforcement agency that everybody's always, uh, you know, uh, keeping an eye on. Um, But I think the difference for me, what the reason I really pushed that way was because I wanted to get in front of the crimes. I didn't want to wait until a crime occurred before we could help companies. I thought there's a lot that can be done just through proactive preventative measures, um, you know, understanding how the criminal thought and spending the time working on these cases and seeing how the, you know, what were they attacking? What were the exploits? What were the vulnerabilities that I could get in front of some of the the criminal activity by helping a company secure themselves? And I think a lot of other um, people in the security industry started seeing it the same thing. And we started understanding that if you just did some really basic things in the beginning, you could probably knock out about 75 to 80% of the threats that were out there. Uh, and then after that, you know, it just became making sure you you clean up the little things that might be uh, a target for a particular type of criminal or type of hacker. Um, but it was totally different environment. It was uh, for, for me. I love doing it in private industry. So I, I am very proud of my FBI career. I'm very proud of the people I work with. And I'm grateful that there's people still there doing the, the, the good work that we were trying to do when I was there. Um, but, you know, today I feel there's it's a, just as important for people like myself to be out in private industry, talking to companies, talking, you know, helping uh, decision making on, you know, where we invest time and energy and what type of tools and technologies actually are the most effective in, in, the, uh, in the world of hackers um, today. So it's an exciting time, you know, to be in this space. It has been for the last, you know, 10, 15 years, I would say, um, but, you know, truly big difference between uh um, even between bt and mattel i mean bt is a large british company very much like a, a government entity um 125,000 employees i think worldwide uh, and then mattel is uh, a little bit smaller us company 15,000 employees with you know a global footprint but a different culture a lot of fun um but believe it or not we'll get into the privacy stuff Richard, I know you've got, you know, there's stuff around that that you're really uh, passionate about, but um, can you imagine the privacy questions around children's data? Um, right. We talk about PII, but when okay. you talk about children's data, wow, people really get, you know, oh, hypersensitive. And so I had a huge responsibility there that I took very seriously. Uh, and I still monitor, you know, what what's going on in the child privacy side of things, because um, you know, adults we get to we have decisions to make and we control some of our own fate. Let's say children are really um, at the mercy of of manufacturers and their parents doing their homework. So I think a company like Mattel it's a, it's an incredibly important place to to learn about privacy and that's where I, I really cut my teeth.
0: That's interesting. You know, last week we had a former uh, EVP, Leah Burnett. And he, one of his clients was Mattel and he talked a lot about the COPA, the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act that came through, you know, a while ago and how, you know, today's kind of the same as that, but, um, you have to get in front of it, but that, that's interesting. Here we are a week apart talking about the same kinds of things.
1: And that, you know, if you think about, um, you know, your job now as a chief security officer here at, uh, at Cheetah Digital, obviously Cheetah as a, as a, a marketing platform, um, uh, collects data on behalf of of the customers that use our platform uh in a whole wide range of different uh, industries everything from you know banks to uh cpg to publishers uh to to travel companies so you know lots and lots of customers around the world in many different jurisdictions using our technology to connect with consumers collect data Billion, billions of consumers billions of consumers um you know, that's that's a big that's a big task. How are you going about keeping you know our customers' data safe as it's processed on the platform?
2: Yeah. So I think some of the most important stuff is just getting the basics right. As I said, I think if you do, you know, some of the basic security hygiene, 75 to 80 percent of the threat is is pretty much um, you know, taken care of. It it just becomes more of than, than fine tuning things. So one of the things I did when I came on board, obviously as we divested from Experian, I had to build a team from scratch, we had really no infrastructure so i was able to start from you know from a zero platform to to kind of build it from scratch and do exactly what i thought was the right things and spend the right uh investments on the right tools and technologies so first and foremost is just the basics you know getting your firewalls and getting your ids ips in place getting some of the um you know the, the endpoint protections for anti-malware anti-virus but for me, the most important thing when I start talking about the, the privacy of the data is all about encryption. Um, I think encrypting the data in transit and at rest is a is a huge um, uh, security protocol that needs to be implemented wherever we can. And that's I take a lot of uh, uh, you know time making sure that that end to end conversation you know that the that the consumer is having with our clients who are using our particular platforms that that encryption is in place that the data, even if it was to be compromised some way, uh, would basically be gibberish. Um, And I think that's probably the most important thing that that we can do today. So, so, you know, encryption is top of my list along with doing all the good basic security hygiene things that uh, any good company should be doing.
1: Well, I can uh speak on behalf of uh Absolutely. our employees and customers to say that we're grateful to have yeah. you at the helm, you it's... know, uh, keeping us uh, keeping the data uh safe. But uh, let's <laughs> switch gears a little bit because I know, you know, you, you know, privacy is also something which is under your uh, uh purview. Um uh, and you know, we talk uh, a lot about privacy uh themes on this podcast. Um, because it relates um, directly to why uh, we believe marketers need to be uh, investing heavily in uh, the kinds of things that we do. So, at one hand, you know, moving away from buying third-party data, there, which uh, you know can be can be risky in today's uh, legislative environment around privacy, and moving to direct connections with consumers and first-party data, and building out zero-party data, even to to the importance that the privacy disruption is having on ad tech and actually why that means that brands need to try and build out their own direct to consumer logged in customer base and loyalty programs being a really important part of, of brands being able to do that and have that direct relationship to to consumers to, to try of abrogate um, uh, themselves from some of this disruption around uh, ad tech, which is impacting how people can personalize marketing to uh, consumers. And obviously, privacy legislation, I mean, it's, it's not just privacy legislation, it's privacy consumer attitudes to privacy as much as it is uh, legislation which is driving a lot of these changes but certainly from a from a legislation perspective um love to get your kind of thoughts uh, on uh you know what are some of the changes that are happening now around uh, in privacy legislation around the world and what do you think is gonna going to be next on that agenda
2: um so it, to start with i think gdpr was kind of a landmark piece it, it really laid some groundwork foundational groundwork for Um, privacy and some of the implementation and compliance requirements that were going to be uh, put into effect. And I think we've seen a lot of other countries um, try to jump on board and find ways to improve on that or to to, to implement something similar. Um, We're certainly seeing that here in the U.S. on the the California side with the CCPA. Um, And I think there's different there's different methods that they're going after. One is GDPR is more of a just a, a standard compliance. Like here's the things that you should be doing for good security, privacy, security and privacy practice. And um, the CCPA really starts focusing more about the management of data and how we're going to, um, you know, what would be required of us as as uh, com- companies that take personal information. How are we able to use that data that's provided to us by by individual consumers? Um, and so for me, if I look at the broader terms of the the privacy um, you know, frameworks that that's coming out there, what I see is is kind of like three areas of focus. I think the first key area has been around awareness. So a lot of people never thought about privacy of data of their own personal data. They didn't. They don't really put you know value on personal information. So the first piece was that the company that's accepting the data be very aware that they're taking personal information, that there is a higher standard that they should be putting around it with it, with um, regards to security uh, and, and encryption and things like that. Um, but also on the consumer front, that they need to be aware that they're sharing personal information that could be very valuable to right. uh, a hacker uh, for the right reasons. And so to, to be careful on how you share that data and just to be aware that personal information does have value. The second piece, I think, is around protection. And and, and that kind of goes back to a, a mantra that I like to use is you can have uh, security without privacy, but you can't have privacy without security. So you must mm. secure the data. You mm. must provide protection around the data that you, you collect. So on the, uh, on, on the corporate front, companies that are collecting it, we have a requirement to implement strong security strategies and protection technologies to make sure the data that we uh, taken from clients and consumers around the globe is protected 24-7, end-to-end, no matter where it is in our process. Um, but again, on the consumer front, there's a, an expectation that they're protecting it on their end as well, that they're doing business with consumers that are clients that they trust and vendors that they they have confidence in, that they do a little homework on their own to make sure that, you know, there's... They're using, uh, you know, there's, a, there's a, a little lock up at the corner when you go into the web browser and that the, where you're sharing the data that that company is is one that you've got some confidence that's going to manage it and handle it correctly. They have, you know, privacy policies, et cetera, in place. And then the third piece is really around accountability. Um, understanding that when you, uh, as a as a company, accept personal information from a consumer, you have now taken over the accountability of that particular piece of information and it's your job to protect it uh, throughout the life of of that data that resides in your environment. Um, and, and then of course there's accountability on the consumer as well to know that they, you know, that data has value and to continue to, to manage that effectively in their own world. And I think those three pieces are really what's driving uh, the privacy industry, industry forward. And what we'll see is different legislation coming out, focusing on different points and areas of that, that space. But ultimately, I think those are going to be the three standard areas that we're going to want to always focus on either as a company or as a consumer when we talk about our personal information.
1: Take a look at the U.S. for a moment. We've obviously got um, CCPA uh, in California. There's privacy moves in a number of other states like Vermont. When do you think we're likely to have uh, some sort of federal privacy legislation for the U.S.?
2: Well, I'm still waiting for federal um regulations on cybersecurity. So probably not anytime <laughs> soon. Um, I, I say that a big t- tongue in cheek because there's a lot of stuff out there today that that's improved. Um, but we've not really done a good job as as a country, let's say from a federal perspective of implementing um, you know, uh, the type of regulations that will probably uh, create a lot easier road for most of us, especially in the industry, because it's we don't work across state lines we don't even really work across country borders anymore everything is just the internet and and it's kind of uh, you know uh, borderless if you will but i do think that this is i can tell you that a lot of um, politicians see this as a really big area because it's not only affecting tons and tons of of uh, companies but but consumers care a lot about it their constituents care a lot about it and um, and I know that there's some of the you know senators and some of the re- uh, representatives out there that have taken a real interest in privacy and done a lot of research, hired people into their their staffs that focus on this. So I, I think there might be an opportunity in the next, you know, two to five years uh, where they, they focus in on maybe getting some legislation that's going to encompass all the main points of these state regulations that are pushed getting pushed out and and. Something across the top that'll make it a little bit easier uh, for both uh, alignment and compliance, but also enforcement, which is, I think, an area that I know coming from law enforcement, I, I preach a lot. You know, it's really bad when you put in uh, regulations that are unenforceable, and I think some of the things we're doing today aren't completely enforceable. And, and a good lawyer will probably be able to, you know, kind of cut mm. through some of the you know some of the haze mm. um, because some of these things, it's, it's really hard for a company. To, to identify you know, the location of a user so what they're basically doing is whoever has the strongest legislation becomes the low bar for a company like us to to align to so it's very difficult right now no, wow
1: that's, that's fascinating uh, fascinating insight and i you know i think um you know one thing is is, is we as we look at privacy and, and and all things around it becoming a sort of political hot potato yeah you know one is 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 looking at you know the various different um senators and others uh in the legislative bodies that that are that are making uh privacy something yeah, that, that they're driving it's, that's that's it's, an interesting topic on its own yeah the the flip side of it, it which which i definitely think we should do a future podcast on is actually looking at how in election year the various different players who's jumping oh, yeah. on the privacy, you know, who's jumping on the privacy yeah. and then also correlate that to actually how they're using data for their own campaigns.
0: Oh man, we could go for days on that, but yeah, it's interesting because Senator Gillibrand in New York just proposed legislation in that state for a federal watchdog. You know, I'll call it a federal referee of sorts to start thinking about from a compliance standpoint. So yeah, it's gonna be interesting um, how many of it stick with it after the, <laughs> the election or are using it as a, uh, as a card from a marketing perspective. But it's just, hey, Joe, I wanna ask you, um, we're gonna have Scott McNeely on our podcast next. And he famously went in front of Congress, you know, 20 some years ago and said, privacy's dead, get over it. What's, what's the one question you'd want to ask Scott from your perspective, you know, from a law enforcement perspective, now being inside of a, a brand platform, SaaS platform that protects, you know, billions of records um, for different companies. What, what would be the one question you would want to ask him and, and put him against the wall against?
2: Oh, wow. That's a, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, I, I think it goes back to enforcement. You know, are we, you know, how do we create legislation that actually has teeth? Because, you know, it's, it's one thing, I mean, we, we, we can jump through and I, a lot of companies are making a lot of money off of uh, the privacy regulations. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure that they're actually, I'm sure that most of them are doing something good for the, for the industry. But at the same time, at the end of the day, our jobs should be to protect the data and do everything in our power to make sure that the, the personal information that's shared with us is protected to the highest standard that we would implement for our own our own personal information or that of our our family and friends. Um, so I think you know from a perspective of privacy and uh, and legislation, what we need to make sure is that the things that we're implementing are enforceable. And I, and I mean that in a way that's it's it's difficult to it's difficult because privacy is such uh, it's still kind of uh, fluid right now. But I think. What we need to do is have very prescriptive requirements. We need to be able to say encryption is 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 a must. You must encrypt it. If you're not encrypting it, then there's going to be some, uh, you know, requirement for you, some enforcement against you to make sure that you don't you don't make that mistake again. Let's let's dig
0: into that for a second. So if if encryption is one of your suggested like best practices, like the first thing you even consider doing, is that difficult for for companies to do internally or like in 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 your experience? Has that been a major hurdle for a, for a company to tackle? Or is that a pretty easy, like, yeah, all right, encrypt our data. That's pretty easy. Let's
2: move on to the next one. Is it difficult or easy? It depends. How's that?
1: Oh, <laughs> so if, right. if, you're, if,
2: you're, if you're creating new um, a new capability, collecting new data, it's easy to encrypt it from day one. That's the best way to do it. Going backwards and putting encryption across the top of an old platform or encrypting data that's been sitting there. There's overhead, there's um, bandwidth requirements, there's, you know, issues with the way that maybe the database was built in the first place. So I think there, you know, it does depend. And I think if we start, you know, one of the terms I use a lot, and and we can't always do this, but I like to say from this day forward, because sometimes it's hard to look backwards and you have a lot of pushback from things. So I put a bunch of what I call compensating controls around the past. But from this day forward, anything we build will have encryption embedded into it. We'll have a security technology stack that is required from day one, and I think that's where we can start to make a difference. Um, data, you know, as you know, becomes old very quickly. So what I'm hoping is we do encrypt all of our data. That's one of the things that you know that they got right even before we acquired the company or I became a part of this company um, was that the encryption was already in place. But at the same time, I think there is a requirement. Um, you know, for us to, to you know, to, to manage the data, the, the life of the data. Uh, if it's no longer a value and it's getting too old, we should get rid of it um, and encrypt anything new coming in. Should, that should just be a standard default. And it doesn't have to be difficult, but depending on how it was built, there can be overhead that, that is, you know, difficult to get around. So
0: to summarize, um, what your recommendation would be, if if there's a a client right now or a brand doing some research around privacy and they're looking at the reports, and by the way, we have a report from Forrester that's going to be available to everyone if you're viewing this, and I'll explain that quickly on on how to get it. But if you're doing some research around privacy, you want to get compliant, you're not sure of what the regulations are going to be because none of us really know what they are, your recommendation sounds pretty solid would be get your data in a platform (laughs) that has encryption at the core it's thinking security first and encryption is like a must have not a nice to have
2: correct that's absolutely correct i mean there's two phrases and they're all cute and they're easy you know easy to say hard to implement but that is security by design privacy by design and if you can if all you do is create a culture in your organization that before they do anything new they go oh shoot is this secure And does this comply with the privacy requirements that that I know about or that I've been told I need to enforce? And if you start thinking from day one, that it's gonna be much easier to build in security and and keep the vulnerabilities out and to make sure that the data is handled in a way that uh, is is compliant with all the the privacy laws we know of today. I would add to that to say that,
1: you know, um, marketers, that many of the the, the folks that use our platform and and the listeners to this podcast, um, you know, now need to be very aware of what's going on with privacy oh, yeah. i mean it, you know the, the the laws are changing uh, in many different legislations. It's one of those things that they can now have to to keep up to to date with um but I think probably more importantly than legislation is is really you know what do you believe as a marketer? you know what are your attitudes to privacy? Do you wear the white hat on this particular subject and you know we've said before in you know prior um uh, podcast. That it's the same as someone moving into your street you know you 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 want to get to know them you want to be a good neighbor you don't do that by putting a tracking bug under their car and spy cameras through the the window uh before you go around and uh you know introduce yourself you don't you know you you go around with a bottle of wine and ask them about themselves and yeah. that's part and parcel of the change that we're trying to uh, to lead and I think that there are going to be brands that are going to win over this with their attitudes to privacy, and there are going to be brands that lose over this yep. uh, and one of the biggest things that we will continue to push is consumers now have the you know, privacy has, has, has put the power in many ways in, in consumers hands so marketers need to think about what's the value exchange that i offer consumers in return for their data in return for their engagement in return uh, for their loyalty and that's that's a big part of, of, of what we're trying to do here at cheetah digital
0: Totally get it, and you know it, you're right because even IKEA, the last week of February came out. There, I think it was their VP of operations or or someone from the from the marketing side came out with a nine minute video. They explained exactly how they were using customer data. Like it was a transparent, automated, animated Perfect. video that showed, hey, this is what we'll do with this data. Here's how you can clear your history on that. Here's how we use this other data in the app or in the store. And you're and it's and it's smart. I mean, you get ahead of it, and
1: it's transparent. Um, I mean, it's you know, the way the, you need to do business. The, the other thing that, that you know, you mentioned the Forrester report. Um, you know, this is a good report for for folks to look at that are beginning the, their their sort of research or at least trying to uh, level up uh, maybe uh, their company's um, uh, approach to privacy. Um, Forrester released this uh, just a couple of weeks ago uh, in uh, in February, um, and it's basically looking at all of the strategic capabilities that enterprises need for this new age of privacy we're yep. in it segmenting all the services and the products that, uh, that, that companies should be looking to to implement so we've made that available for all of the listeners of our podcast uh, and you can get it here i'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you how you can get it right now richard do it this is how you do it
0: if you're watching this podcast and it's late february you know late uh, winter 2020 you can text the word caps Caps. which you can also just text at any given time to get our podcast sent right to your phone. Boom. We will send you a link to watch all of our upcoming episodes right onto your mobile device. But if you want to get this this report right now, which we'll have on the cheetahdigital.com website, we'll send it right to your phone. Just text the word Caps, and I'll give you a couple of bullets here so you know what you're actually getting. Um, as you mentioned. It's kind of a checklist if you're looking into privacy you're not sure what to do with your company they give you some real three you know three great key takeaways like you know what, what is the vulnerability from a technology standpoint um, how to deal with you know stifling innovation by adopting new technologies that haven't quite been vetted yet and then the whole thing that's still up in the air of legislation what's yet to come but they talk about what Jill just mentioned privacy you know privacy by design um, that was used in Europe uh, over the last few years, very successfully by companies because GDPR would be, was before the regulations that are coming here in the United States. And right now with all the state laws and you know, hopefully impending uh, federal law, you're gonna wanna look at that. There's all kinds of great stuff in this report from Forrester. It's a quick read, it's only 10 pages, but if you are starting or even midway down what you feel like is your privacy research project, you need to get this report. There's tons of stuff in there. It actually calls out software and platforms that you can use for certain uh, factions and functions in your marketing business how to deal with this data so again text the word caps c-a-p-s and we'll auto reply with that
1: or you can find it at cheetahdigital.com and uh lastly thank you very much to jill for sharing how interlinked the worlds of privacy and security are so thank you thank you jill
2: yep my pleasure thanks for having me on and i appreciate it no worries great and
0: thank you for approving our background checks and giving us jobs (laughs) (laughs) till next time happy to have you
2: all right Cheers, guys Thank you.